0: There's no doubt the Colonial Pipeline ransomware attack was a watershed incident for the oil and gas industry. In short, Colonial Pipeline suffered a ransomware attack in May of 2021 on their IT side, and out of an abundance of caution, the company shut down its operations. What happened after that was consumers panicked and there were runs on gas stations all along the East Coast. As a result, The Transportation Security Administration released a prescriptive set of regulations for owners and operators of pipelines and LNG facilities that were very rigid. And then in July last year, after great consternation from the industry, more flexible set of regulations released. And now this past July, another set of regulations released. In this era of increased connectivity and fewer security people minding the store, it only makes sense the government will step in and try to make the country safer from these very dangerous and volatile chemicals traversing the countryside. That is why we're here to discuss the impact of the TSA Pipeline Security Directive on the oil and gas sector. Hello, my name is Greg Hale, and welcome to another Today with ISS Source podcast. And with us today is Gary Nealon, Principal Product Manager at Cyber Physical System Security Provider, Clarity. Uh, Gary, welcome.
1: Hi, thanks for having me, Greg. Happy to be here.
0: It's great to have you. And I'm going to get right into it. Um, Are you seeing the midstream sector falling victim to more cyber attacks ever since the colonial incident? So I haven't seen any
1: like specific targeting of it especially when you're thinking like nation state or those type of actors but I have seen a big increase in more of what I like to call like the bleed over type attacks. These is actually I think a great example of colonial where you have poorly segmented networks where you have environments where things on your IT network can impact your operational systems or your OT networks. And that can lead to bigger issues. So not necessarily targeted type things, but events that are happening in this area, those things that could negatively impact these areas. I think those are definitely on the rise, just as we see more and more of these systems connected. And we're seeing, uh, you know, the impacts of these types of bleed over type attacks. Okay.
0: Now, obviously, the uh, midstream connects upstream oil and gas to downstream. I mean, That only makes sense. With these three areas, are they working together in terms of cybersecurity or are they working in more of a siloed environment? So, I think it really
1: depends on the organization. I mean, that's something we see with TSA, right? It's specifically targeting midstream, even though upstream and downstream have just as big of potential impacts if they were hit with something as well. So, what I've seen is like with the really large oil and gas companies, the ones that have everything, some of them, have really great converged programs, right? They have a single owner, they have programs that are covering all their assets. It's very well thought through (laughs) and organized. And and those I think are really, really good examples. I've also unfortunately seen examples where everything's very siloed, each area kind of owns at their own, Every business unit is kind of doing their own thing. That leads to, I think, a bunch of additional challenges because you have a bunch of right-hand, left-hand type stuff from which business unit is doing what. You have different solutions, different design decisions. It can just get very challenging. So I do recommend customers, and especially if you're a large oil and gas organization, to think about trying and doing it more holistically. But I think it really does depend on the organization.
0: You know, you you do find that a lot, where that, as they always say, it depends on the organization, and uh, and that can be a great thing, or it can be, you know, lead to colonial, for instance. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, getting into the the colonial incident a little bit, I mean, this isn't the first time colonial had to shut down part of its pipeline network because it all way back when when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, that was an issue. I mean, colonial shut down. But it didn't cause anywhere near the panic that Colonial did in 2021. My question is, why why do you feel this effect uh, really hurt the East Coast as much as it did?
1: Yeah, I think there's two big pieces on this. One is the perception, right? Like people know what a hurricane is. They know what it impacts. They understand why a pipeline would get shut down for it. And they, you know, they understand once the hurricane's through, it's going to come back up, and you know, they've seen it before, right? It's something that happens all the time—not necessarily all the time—but they're they're aware of it. They can kind of wrap their brain around it. Colonial is is a big, or the uh, the cyber attack is a big difference, right? They don't necessarily know what does this mean. Is it shut down forever? Right? Did attackers take it over? You know, there's the the understanding is so much less by the public that i think it can cause what you saw right you saw it runs on gas stations you saw people thinking they're never going to get gas again right like it it causes this big difference in public perception that i think led to a bunch of the impact that you saw The other side, I think, is the duration. I think for Harvey, it was down for like, I think operations were down completely for like a day, and then they went to reduced operations after that. But for Colonial, like they were down for four days completely. There was no clearly defined timeline for when it was going to come back up. Like it was just different, right? So not only did the public respond very differently, I think, because of the the difference in knowledge, but it was also just longer, so it's going to have a bigger downstream effect on on the uh, areas that are receiving its product.
0: Okay, well, after the colonial incident, I mean, government and in a purely reactionary move, issued the first round of cyber rules that drew the ire of businesses, saying the regulations are overly prescriptive and in some cases risk disrupting the flow of oil and gas. Then last year, uh, TSA, uh, in July of 2022, TSA came out with a rule that offered uh, greater flexibility over security management and incident response. Then this past July, they updated it even more. I mean, could you explain the rule a little bit and how it really affects the industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so my previous life, to clarity, I actually came from the industry side, not from oil and gas, but from power. I was actually a system engineer at a nuclear power plant, and I was there when something very similar happened. We had a big incident, cyber incident that ended up in the news and nukes, you know, got to Congress. We got a brand new regulation from the NRC, you guys need to go start doing cybersecurity on your OTE systems. This is back in about 2007. It's funny how similar this all plays out, right? Big really uh, restrictive regulation comes out, industry turns around and says, wait a second, we can't really do this. How are we going to continue operating? Then there's a bunch of back and forth between the industry and the regulators as they all kind of figure it out and figure out what it's going to ultimately end up looking like. I think with this, we saw something similar, right? We had a very big incident. A lot of people asking questions on why aren't we securing these systems better? TSA gets tapped to go and put up this regulation. And now you're seeing the back and forth between them and the industry on what is it really going to look like in practice and how is it going to be audited? All this sort of stuff comes up. So mm-hmm. if you look at like these frameworks, it really talks about broad strokes like you need to put in these plans, you need to do these types of things. But at the end of the day, like it comes down to the industry and the regulators figuring out. How do we actually do it, right? What does this look like on the ground? So I think that's what we're seeing right now.
0: Mm-hmm. What within the the new version and uh, that released in July, they're talking about. Uh, there, one of the requirements is for a cybersecurity assessment plan that needs to be. Uh, they the TSA needs to um, assess it every year. I mean, what are? You know, can you give some of the requirements for the, these plans?
1: Yeah, definitely. So again, like your implementation plan is just going to be, how do I actually meet the requirements, right? If you if you look at any of these regulations like this, or NERC or the NRC regulations, or even the stuff you see in Europe, right? With like ISO 99 and the NIST 2 standards, those basically give you broad targets, right? Like you need to do segmentation, you need to identify your critical assets, you need to do access control, you need some sort of monitoring solution, right? it's not super prescriptive. It's not gonna say, go deploy Clarity, right? Mm -hmm. I, I say that, right? I say, okay, you need a monitoring solution, Clarity is here to help. But your implementation plan is saying how we actually need that. So the TSA regulation says you need a monitoring solution, your implementation plan says we deployed Clarity for that, and here is our quarterly report that says all the incidents that were in Clarity and all the assets that we identified, all that sort of thing. And that's really how you show to the regulator that you're meeting their requirements. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that back and forth between the, the industry person and the, the regulator.
0: I know with NERC SIP, there are penalties, uh, you know, fines and that kind of thing. I mean. What kind of penalties do organizations face if they don't meet these requirements?
1: Yeah, so what I've seen right now is all like monetary fines and stuff against organizations. I think we're going to see it as we start seeing audits start happening and see what the TSA is going to do. In NERC-SIP, it actually goes all the way to, they'll shut you down, right? A, a NERC-SIP will shut down a plant, shut down an organization over uh, cybersecurity requirements. So I don't know if that's going to happen with the TSA requirements. I think we're going to see this evolve even more. I mean, again, we even saw this in the regulation, right, where there have been multiple passes at this. You've seen multiple versions of this regulation. I think the same thing's going to happen when we start talking penalties, because TSA starts trying to shut sites down, and the industry pushes back really hard. Like, I I think you're going to see these fights start playing out. So I think at the beginning, you know, monetary fines, definitely, I don't know if it's going to go all the way to licensing stuff and and ability to even operate. But it's definitely something to watch. Like, I I think that's going to be the next, uh, next phase of this as we start seeing audits roll out.
0: How subjective are the rules? I mean, are, you know, can one person, one TSA auditor say, well, it's one way I'm going to apply and rules one way and another one do it another way?
1: I have actually, so I, I can't speak for TSA. I can tell you with NERC SIP that definitely can happen. You can have stuff that had passed a previous audit that doesn't pass a current audit because you know certain regulators, like ultimately, it's people doing this stuff, right? So certain people can interpret requirements differently. They can take different stances on what they're seeing. I think, that again, this is where you're going to see people are going to watch very closely when they see these first audits, when these audits start happening, and they see what the responses are. And I think you're going to see the industry side try and come forward with a like, this is what we think good looks like, right? This is what we think is a reasonable response to these. Because there's always gray areas. There's always edge cases on how do we define this? How do we respond to that, right? What does this language really mean in the regulation? And you can talk back and forth all you want, but it really comes into practice when you have that auditor sitting there and saying, I don't agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I don't agree with your interpretation. So my guess is we're going to see some back and forth. You'll see uh, some of that happening. And eventually, I think you'll get to a sort of normalized ground. But there always is some subjective nature to this, right? Because there is always edge cases. Some of this stuff is not super clear. So,
0: all right. You know, I've heard plenty of arguments about the uh, private sector working with the government. And, you know, you hear pros and cons of, of that all the time. But it seems that when the private sector really balked at the first round of, of these, you know, really rigid uh, TSA regulations, the government listened and they actually worked together. I mean, and it seems like it was, but I mean, do you find that that was the case in this instance? And are they continuing that kind of dialogue?
1: I think it definitely was the case in this instance. And I also think it's a, it's a positive thing, right? Like, what is the purpose of this regulation right it is to secure our critical infrastructure i think it's very good that we are requiring security on this stuff right we we shouldn't have to worry about the the, the stuff really impacts real people it's stuff that that it impacts people's day-to-day lives and there should be some expectation that there's security being applied to that on the flip side, the industry folks know how to actually do this. They have experts on their side that know how to do security. They are total experts in how their architectures work and how their and how their facilities operate. You know what they can do, what they can't do, all this sort of stuff. So I think it has to be a partnership between them. Again, I think this is what we saw with NERC SIP. And I think at the end of the day, it led to a very secure power system. Like, if you look at our power producers in the United States, especially like our nuclear ones, they're highly secure. We're not seeing cyber incidents on our regulated uh, power industry. And I think a big piece of that is the fact that the industry worked with the regulators. Not to, you know, water down the regulation, but to make sure that they're getting to the security goals and doing it in a way that is achievable, something mm-hmm. that can actually be done by the industry folks.
0: Mm-hmm. So how has the security landscape changed in the uh, midstream sector over, you know, over the past, uh, you name the time frame, two years, three years?
1: Yeah, I, I can tell you recently a lot more companies are contacting us, so if, if we look very short term there's a lot more a lot more companies realizing cybersecurity is a thing but more seriously like just over time i think it's changed dramatically like even if you look 5 10 years ago ot security or even this idea of needing to do cybersecurity on operational systems was not a thing if you talk to people about what security is for your oil and gas plant, they'd start talking about fences and guys with guns and that sort of thing, right? It was all physical security. Cybersecurity mm-hmm. wasn't even a part of the conversation. And that has changed a lot in the past, again, five, 10 years, like you've started seeing more and more people understanding it. I think industry and and folks have have started doing it a lot before colonial happened. But I think that's just accelerating it. That's accelerating that conversation. So mm-hmm.
0: Or well, related to what you were just saying, uh, and not to get off the cyber discussion, but with systems of uh, pipelines stretching over hundreds and hundreds of miles of uh, land, I mean, there also has to be a physical security component to this as well. I mean, how do, how do the cyber and physical security sides work together in this area?
1: Yeah, I think it's critical that they work together, and that's something particularly in midstream that is going to be really important because right. I think that's one of the challenges you see with like these regulations, right? As TSA is going to say, you must do X, Y, Z, but then you go look at a pipeline, it's like, okay, this is a pumping station in the middle of nowhere that's you know a hundred miles from the closest anything. And it has a gateway on it that talks out over 5G modem and a single pump. And that's it. You know, it's it's not like a massive network out there, like you see at a refinery or something like that. So being able to take credit for things like we have strong physical control out there, we have tamper proofing of, of devices, you know, we make sure that we're controlling access to it, because in some cases, that can be easier than doing some of these cyber controls, just depending on the architecture and kind of where these devices are. So I think good programs leverage both of these things. It's important to think of it from both sides. Also, it's important not to over overstate what your physical security gets you because again, if you have bad cyber control and bad cyber hygiene, like the best physical security in the world isn't going to stop someone from remoting into your system if if you don't have your cyber controls in place. So exactly. I, think, I think it really does have to be both of them working together to meet the goal.
0: Now, we mentioned NERC SIP a few times, and I have heard and I have seen various things in the industry where companies will follow NERC SIP rules but they'll follow the bare minimum and they're not going to of those regulations and not go above and beyond that. And you, we can agree or disagree on that, but I, I've heard that kind of component. So do you find with the TSA directive that companies will follow suit and do the bare minimum? Are you seeing that uh, having them going above and beyond to ensure a more secure environment?
1: Yeah, I think that this is one of the big challenges and you know before when I was talking about industry working with the regulators like this is that balance, right? Like you can't have industry too strong because there are going to be people that just do that bare minimum, right? They're just trying to check the boxes or just trying to pass the audit that's all they're trying to do.
0: Exactly. So
1: the baseline has to be strong enough that you are going to meet your security goals. So that's why you need a strong regulator that can make sure that happens but on the flip side you need to have some the industry be able to to say what's going to be possible and i think especially when we start talking about the smaller organizations like you know a chevron or bhp or philips you know these guys can put the money in for a big program right like they they can do that but there are a lot smaller companies out there in oil and gas that don't necessarily have those resources. So I think it's a, a combination of that. But to the question about like, are they going to be doing the bare minimum? Or are they going to go above and beyond? I think that really depends on the organization. From what I've seen already, like a lot of oil and gas companies, even a lot of midstream companies were already starting to do this even before the TSA came along. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think it's New, like a lot of them were doing this proactively, but you're also going to have ones that are just you know checking the box, just gonna see this as another thing they got to do and and uh doing it that way. So mm-hmm. it probably depends, but again, we'll have to see as as audits start happening, uh, what the regulator is going to accept and what the industry is going to put forth.
0: Now, uh, Colonial was a ransomware attack, and uh, are you seeing that as being the top type of attack hitting the industry or? Are there any others? And along with that, are you seeing like these being more attack gangs or ransomware gangs or or nation states looking at this particular sector?
1: Yeah. So I think oil and gas kind of has a pretty unique position because they've always been a pretty prime target, I think, for this sort of stuff. <laughs> like yeah. oil and gas isn't super popular, <laughs> like you know, when bad, when bad stuff happens and it impacts people, you have nation states attacking it because they're in areas that have active wars going on right now, and that's been happening for a long time. You also have environmentalist groups, like you have hacktivists and stuff going after them. So, I think they've always been in kind of a unique place from a security point of view because they have a big target. I mean, and from ransomware point of view, right? a lot of these companies have a lot of money. so. They're a juicy target. There, I wouldn't say that I'm seeing one more than the other in response to colonial or anything. Like, I think it's always been a pretty target-rich environments on on the oil and gas side. Mm-hmm. What I will say is ransomware in particular has gotten incredibly more sophisticated in the past couple of years. Like, you have like ransomware for hire now. You have groups that you can get. Basically, buy a kit to deploy a ransomware campaign, and they'll give you support. Like you can call up a a help desk person, you know, help with your ransomware. Like it's insane. They're like real companies operating out there. So that, in particular, I've seen get a lot heavier. But most of the time, it's targeting the IT systems. Right, it's targeting your intellectual property or financial systems, like you know, stuff that you wouldn't want leaked that way. Like colonial was unique in that it it made its way onto the on the OT systems. But uh again, just back to the question, like I don't think there's any specific thing that's changed. I do think ransomware in particular is getting a lot more sophisticated and a lot more targeted. But oil and gas has always been a prime target for everything under the sun. So mm-hmm. that, I think, is still very much out there.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, we uh, we always like to leave our listeners with um, you know some kind of best practices to follow. Um, so w- what should organizations do to protect, protect themselves against any kinds of attacks?
1: Yeah. So I think visibility is probably a great starting point. I mean, that's one of the things I normally have conversations with customers about and with people that I've talked with is that you got to know what you have, you need to understand what all your equipment is and you need to know what it's doing within the environment. So getting that strong baseline, I think is critical for anything else you're building out because if you're going to try and go do vulnerabilities or you're going to try and do segmentation or you know whatever, you need to know what you have at your facilities to be able to do that as a starting point. So I think that's something that's really critical. And then if you look at like all these regulations, again, the TSA is, is slightly different than NERC-SIP, which is different than ISO 99 which is different than all these other ones, but they all have broad strokes, a lot of the same things, right? It's going to start with identifying your critical assets, putting up some types of access control, right? Putting up a fence, some, whether it's a firewall, DMZ, whatever, something to protect those assets. And then start monitoring them, right? Putting in a tool, ideally you go with Clarity, but there are others out there as well. But you put in something to uh, start looking for changes to the environment, look for attacks, look for uh, things that could negatively impact the environment. Those are all things that I think are really good uh, really good starting points.
0: Mm-hmm. It also seems like the um, if you have a good, solid security plan or security program, you would meet the the minimums anyway of what the tsa is talking about is that would that be a fair to say
1: yeah i think a, a lot of these companies the ones that have already been proactive like there's always going to be the questions of documenting it and the you know the artifacts you have to give to the regulator and how that works but from a practice point of view, like a lot of these organizations are already doing the things they need to do, right? They're they have their security controls in place, they have identified the critical assets, they put in segmentation or, or those type of things. The issue with the regulator always becomes well, how do we document that? How do we show yeah. it to them? Because ultimately if, if you're not documenting it, you're not doing it as far as the regulator is concerned. So that becomes a, a big piece of it. But yeah, like if you're already proactively doing security before this started, like you're probably in a pretty good place. Cause again, a lot of these are the same type of things that I think you hear from any of these for again, NERC-SIP, NIST, the NIST-CSFs, you know, any of these, they, they all have broad strokes, a lot of similar things.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that is about all the time we have for now. Gary, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, very
1: happy to. It's a very interesting topic, I think very timely, so happy to have a
0: conversation. Okay, so for uh, Gary Nealon and Clarity, this is Greg Hale saying thank you for listening.